Welcome to the Emmaus Fellowship Teaching Podcast. We trust you find this encouraging. Emmaus Fellowship is located at 205 North Pine Street in Woodland Park, Colorado. Our phone number is 719-687-6061. We trust you find this encouraging as you pour over God's Word with us. Gave me a voice and a song Taught me how to sing Would you guys join me in prayer real quick, and then we'll turn to the Word? So, Father, we just want to bless your name today. I thank you for this time. We've come to hear from you. Each one of us have intentionally a need that we need you to enter into. So that as we take our time to listen, would you speak clearly to us? And I just want to honor your name today, and I bless you. Now, Lord... Even as it tells us in Scripture, do more than we ask or imagine, and let your name be lifted up. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Please grab your Bibles and go with me to Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. Hebrews, did I say Ephesians? Okay. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, there you go. As you're turning there, I want to get your attention on, um, as we all read Scripture and stuff, as I always share this, I don't know if you guys ever do this, but um, there's so many ways to study the Bible, there's so many things that um, get your attention. I've been impacted by um, George Whitfield. If you don't know who he is, um, he was a disciple of John Wesley's and was considered one of the biggest uh, well-known evangelists right during the time of the founding of American history. In fact, a lot of what we would call our Constitution comes from the preaching of George Whitfield. And um, most people don't realize that people would announce George Whitfield's coming to the square to preach, and farmers from 20 miles out would just travel for three or four hours just to be there so he could preach to like 20 and 30,000 people. And he did this every day. And here's what he would do. And I found this, this is how the Lord helps me now. He said what he would do is he would get on his knees every morning and he would read scripture and pray as he was reading it. And anything that grabbed his attention, whatever word or phrase or chapter or whatever it was, he considered that fresh manna. And then he he actually said that the Lord started training him that that's how he would actually study scripture and he knew that's what he was to present to people because the Lord was making it alive to him. So if you've never done that, a lot of people just read the chapters of the Bible. Well, I've done this a million times. What am I supposed to get out of it? Read it as though you're searching for a treasure, and whatever grabs your attention, recognize that's the Lord saying, I want to speak to you out of that passage. And then dive into it, and you'll, you'll just be incredibly satisfied. Three weeks ago, uh, so I was with you guys last month, three weeks ago, the Lord started um, talking to me or showing me the word obey or obedience. And... Um, I'm always amazed, I don't know if you guys are like this, but I'm always amazed that when I read Scripture and I read passages and I come to words, I make an assumption. Oh, I know what this word means. 
And then if you guys ever study scripture or words, you realize that you don't know what it means. You make an assumption. And based out of that assumption, it kind of uh, makes you interpret the scripture incorrectly and you don't get the depth of what God is saying. And so our, what we're going to do today is we're going to explore this passage and talk about obedience. Now, very interesting enough, the greater body of Christ, when the, the topic of obedience or discipleship is ever mentioned, most people cringe and think, oh no, this means that I'm not living up to what God has called me to do, and I'm going to have to be more disciplined and develop better habits. And that kind of thinking shows that we don't understand what these words mean. It also shows that we don't understand how grace works because these words, as we're going to even look at today, are liberating. They're, they're filled with the goodness of God in the middle of them. And that's why we want to explore this and talk about it. So here in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, look at it with me. It's, it's talking about Jesus being a high priest and, and how he walked, and it says right here, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Now, before I dive into each word and we explore it and talk about it, uh, one thing I want to point out in this passage is most of us believe that suffering has to do with while well, we're fallen and we suffer so that we can learn to live righteously. But this passage is pointing out the fact that Jesus and he doesn't start with that place. So Jesus isn't suffering because of something he's done or something he needs to grow up into. He's the Son of God. And it's saying that even he learned obedience from what he suffered. So there's, there's this wisdom that's tied into this. And remember, this is in the passage where it talks about he's a high priest that can actually relate to the things you're going to and through. And it's now going to talk about suffering and obedience. All right? So let's dive into it. It says, although he was a son, he learned obedience. Let's take the word learned. Uh, man, a theo. And what's interesting about this is it's the word for disciple, but I want to point out how it's actually used in the original language. First, historically. Being a disciple back in the time when this was written is different than probably how we understand it today. This was an ancient culture. They learned differently than we do. Uh, we base our learning um, based on Greek culture, and we even uh, moved away from that. And basically, we believe the gaining of knowledge is just pouring facts into you. So you guys go to school, a professor stands in front of you, and he just lectures and talks. And you're supposed to sit there and take really good notes. And then they want you to regurgitate that back to them as best you can, and then they give you a letter grade, and then somehow you're supposed to know something. How many of you went through the school system doing that and don't remember anything you learned in school? <laughs> All right. So it's facts, but when it talks about he learned here, this is very interesting. Back in the time when this was being written, they had more of a mentorship learning, which meant it looks like this. Uh, you even see it in the life of Jesus. You see Jesus doing where he's caring for people and he's modeling how to minister to people and the disciples are observing it. So that's the first level of learning. The second level is now you have to join your mentor and he assigns you to do certain things that he's done and you learn to do it. 
That's the second thing as you participate. The third level of learning was that now you start doing it. He calls you over to that situation you just learned, and now you do it, and he observes you. And then when you get done, he pulls back, and he critiques it and reflects back to you, here's how to do it better. So that's the third way of learning. The fourth way is now you're doing it, and you go now start discipling other people. So this, this cycle of discipleship was called learning experience, and it's, it's in a process. Now, this is very important. The process of the kingdom of God is very important to understand because you and I have to learn how grace works in our life. And grace doesn't work by us just having an encounter with the Holy Spirit. It's actually having the Holy Spirit mentor us and show us and critique us and then releasing us. And so when it's talking about this, although he was a son, he learned, he's actually saying he had to go through this process also. Now, it's going to start talking about this process right here where it says he learned obedience right here. This term learned is important. In fact, it's what we call the key word for the rest of the passage because it's going to describe how he learned. All right. So it says he learned obedience. Now, when we come to the topic of obedience, let's just kind of distill how the Bible begins to talk about it. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it talks about, my sheep hear my voice, right? Now, interesting enough, if you look up the original word for that word voice, it doesn't just mean um, hearing someone speak. It actually means a voice that can be heard. Now, a lot of people are speaking, but they cannot be heard because what they're saying has no authority has no influence, has no power. In fact, if you listen to them, your life will be destroyed because they have no wisdom. So when Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, he's saying, I'm a voice that should be listened to because if you listen to me, your whole entire life will be transformed. Okay, now, you have to understand that when you come to this word called obedience because the first part of the word obedience is the word obey. Now, obey is fascinating. It means a preferred voice, or it means listening to only one voice or lifting a voice so high that you actually say, this is the voice that I have to lay my life on the line and pay attention to. And so when we talk about the word obey, it doesn't mean rituals or laws. It actually means preferring a voice. Well, whose voice did you prefer? In your own life right now, think about this. You have everybody telling you, this is how you should live. And yet you have the God of the Bible saying, look, I am so alive and I'm actually living inside of you that you have to cultivate my voice and you have to prefer my voice to every other voice because if you don't, you're going to just be thrown to and throw. You're, you're never going to be able to settle anything in your life because you don't have the ability to do that by listening to many voices. And, and the way the Greek word is used here for the word obey, it doesn't mean just selecting or preferring a voice. It actually means lifting it up to the place where it's the most eminent voice in your existence. Now, isn't that interesting? It's saying, now think about this. If you guys ever go to other countries, you watch them bring the gospel into their country, and then they, they incorporate it into all their other false religions. They're pantheistic. 
And the problem is, is they, they never prefer the voice of the Lord compared to anything else. They, they try to find whatever works in a situation. And with that kind of attitude, what's happening is they, they, they listen to everybody around them. They listen to demonic spirits. They, they try to listen to the Lord. And when you've got that going on, what's going on in the soul of men and women is absolute confusion and deception. And so here, isn't this interesting? The Bible is saying, not only do you prefer a voice and you lift it up, the next concept to the word obey that's even more fascinating is it carries the idea that if you will lift this voice up and you prefer this and give, I mean, if you prefer it and you say, this is the voice I'm going to listen to, what happens is an effect happens in your soul where all the other voices do not have an impact and they stop influencing you. So that's the word obey. Now let's take the word obedience. So two Greek words, the first word obey, and then the the last part, obedience. What does that actually mean? So it means to prefer a voice, and then the second Greek word actually means to be lifted up to do what was spoken to you. Now, this is where it gets interesting right here. Let's explore just for a moment the word grace, all right? How many of you know that the basic definition, if you go look it up, means unmerited favor? But it, grace, the word grace was not in the original, you know, we didn't admit it in the scripture. It was borrowed from the culture of the day. So how did the culture of the day use the word grace, and why did Paul start bringing it in to scripture? Now remember, back in the day, when Paul is writing the Bible and he's using the word grace... He's using it because other cultures were using it too. Other cultures were not atheists. They were God-fearing or gods-fearing, which means they worshipped many gods. So they used the word grace all the time. So you guys ready? The word grace is what happens to an individual when the gods touch them. All right, so what happens? You know, they had Zeus or Apollo or any of those things. And if a god ever came down and he touched you, something of himself was given to you, and now you're not normal anymore. You've been touched by the gods, and now you have an ability to do something that an earthly person cannot do. You actually become, it's actually kind of fascinating, the word actually means to become superhuman. Now, is that interesting? So Paul takes that word in that culture, and he brings it into the New Testament. He says, really, that's actually a correct word to describe the Christian experience. Because when God touches you, he gives something of himself to you, and now you're empowered to do something that you cannot naturally do in yourself. And that's the idea of obedience. When God communicates with you, and you and I describe it as, well, I sense his love, I sense his peace, I I have a sense of the nearness of God... Those are all the effects of God speaking to you, but the lingering effect is you have been given a power that no one else possesses, and it lifts you up and gives you the ability to walk out the thing he actually spoke to you. It actually transforms you so that you're not afraid of it. You could care less what anyone else thinks about it. You're settled inside yourself, and you've been given dunamis to actually accomplish what is spoken. Now, you guys remember dunamis, right? It's, a word for, it's where we get miracles, but it's the effect of a bomb blowing up. It's not a bomb blowing up. It's the effect of a bomb blowing up. So if you ever watch, uh, no, most of us aren't in our everyday life watching people throw bombs and going, oh, look at the people flying all over the place. 
but we get it from watching movies, and you guys see there's an effect. It's saying that kind of power is what's released to you when, when God speaks to you. And everyone says, well, how do I learn to obey the Lord? Well, it's really simple. You listen to him, then the power that you need to actually commit your will to it, grace grips your will and actually gives you the ability, lifts you up, and all you have to keep in your heart is a yes to move forward. I don't know. Is that exciting? Okay, so three of you enjoyed that, so I'm done. Thank you, guys. But... Look at this. It says, he learned obedience. Now, do you get this? Here's the Son of God. Here we have this dynamic being demonstrated to you guys. Do you know why in this passage it talks about him being the perfect high priest and being the model for your Christian experience? Because he's modeling perfectly what it means to walk with the Father. He's modeling it. Jesus emptied himself, as we see in Philippians chapter 2, and took the form of a servant. And he became obedient until death, right? Well, here's that language again. He's now having the Father lead him. He's actively speaking to him, and he's responding to it, and it's leading him to a specific path. Are you guys ready? That's what you've been called to do. Now, the passage doesn't say, and I'm going to have to be careful as I go here, it doesn't say he was obedient to the text, and God did this. He's saying he was obedient to the voice. So that's an active tense. What does that mean? You don't live your life on what God said 2,000 years ago. You live your, your life on what God is saying to you right now. So I read the text of the scripture so that I'm open to the presence of the Lord and I expect the spirit of wisdom and revelation or what we would call simply the voice of God to speak to me out of the text so that I get empowered by grace to walk out the things God has called me to. Do you guys see the distinction? I, I brought up how our culture, we just lecture people, and so we get fascinated with lectures instead of encountering the voice. So our culture, uh, we're fascinated by people teaching the Scripture, talking about the Scripture, giving insight in Scripture. But are you guys ready? Anybody that's teaching the Scripture, and you should do this to me, if you're not being encountered by the voice of God as you're hearing the Word of God, it avails you to almost nothing. It's just information. And if you hear a message and grace is not being imparted to you, what you have to try to walk out the things that have been given to you is legalism. And that's why most people don't like the word obedience and they don't like the word discipline because they usually don't hear God's voice in the middle of it and they determine to try to be obedience in the power of their flesh. And the minute you do that, you just walk into the spirit of religion and you're basically in bondage. It is the voice of God that liberates you to walk out the things of God, not the power of your flesh. All right, so Jesus learned obedience from the things which he suffered. So let's just work through that. All right. The, actually, in the original language, it's not suffered that's the focal point. It's the things he suffered. So it's actually, that's just one Greek word. They just translate it that way, things he suffered. Now, why am I emphasizing that instead of just focusing on the word suffering? Because there's different ways the word suffering is used in the Greek New Testament, and you need to see the emphasis here. It is going to explain the definition of what suffering is, but this things he suffered actually means the the response to the things he suffered. Now, I'll tie all this together here in a moment, but you guys get it? It's not enough to just go through suffering 
you have a response when you go through suffering. By the way, the word suffering in the Greek New Testament has a negative connotation, but actually even has a positive connotation to it. So a lot of people think, well, I see that word suffering, I just run for the hills as fast as I can because there's no benefit from any of this. Well, that depends on the passage. Is it talking about a negative effect of suffering or a positive effect? You guys realize sometimes when you suffer through something, there's a positive effect by doing it. And isn't that interesting? We're in the passage now where it's talking about Jesus being your high priest and he, knows, he can relate to you and knows exactly what you're going through because he actually went through it himself and there's a positive effect from this. So let's dive into this. What is this Greek word? Things he suffered. All right, so the Greek word here, I'm sure you guys will be fascinated by it, plaskzo, uh, and it's a verb term. Now what does it mean? It means that things he went through had an effect on his emotions. You guys ready? It not only had an effect on his emotions, it had an effect on his mind, it had an effect on his will. And so it's saying things that he suffered affected every part of his soul, his mind, his will, his emotions. Now, you guys, isn't this interesting? It's saying the things that he suffered taught him to pay attention to the voice of the Lord. So if I was like rewriting the, this Greek uh, passage right here, the last part of the passage actually explains the first part of it, even though they're describing it to you. So it would actually be the best way to translate it is saying this, things that we suffer teach us to prefer God's voice so that we can be in grace-empowered. All right, now let's break that down into everyday life. This is just the scripture. How does that work? How many of you ever go through something in your life and it affects you spiritually, physically, or emotionally? And then you think, how in the world am I supposed to do it? What am I supposed to do here? How many of you ever go through that? Like, I don't, I, you know, what principle out of scripture am I supposed to apply in this situation? And I don't know if you guys ever do this. Um, you know the, the temptation of Jesus where the enemy's harassing him and stuff? I've, I've noticed that he never harasses me on the things that he harasses Jesus about. He's never talking to me about rocks. He's never talking about giving everything to me. And he never talks to me about jumping off at any temple or anything. So most of the time, I'm like, what passage am I supposed to use here? Are you guys in the same place? Or you're going through a situation... And it sort of looks like your friend, and they tell you, well, this is what I did, and you do it, and it doesn't work. Have you guys ever had that situation? <laughs> and so we're, we're all like, well, there has to be some secret mystery to how this works. And so now I'm going to tell you the secret mystery. Okay? You go through a situation. Um, a lot of, lot of things that I've gone through, both positive and negative... When I don't know what the answer here, here's what Jesus is modeling. He's modeling when that thing affects you and you don't know what to do, you're supposed to turn your heart to hear his voice and say, what do you want to do here? Now, I, don't, I, I know that I've been with you guys. I know Chris probably talks to you about this, but I, I'm not going to assume you've heard this information. One of the main things that is described about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is he is our counselor. Now, to drive this point home, why is that so important? Why am I, this could be a whole other teaching, and maybe I'll just teach on that next month, but why am I bringing that up right in the middle of this thing? 
Because the idea of a counselor isn't to tell you what you do wrong. The idea of a counselor is they're right there with you, and when you need wisdom, they communicate it to you. So you guys, when something comes and we're encountered by it, and it affects us, and we go, I don't know what to do, the Holy Spirit has sealed His presence inside of us as a counselor, and we're to turn to Him and go, what do you want me to do, and expect Him to respond to that. Now, how do you learn this? By going through it. How many of you would say, yeah, I finally learned it, but I went through something so difficult, I don't ever want to go through that again? I, I, sometimes I think, uh, you guys like me? I'm so stubborn inside myself, I make things 10 times more difficult. And then I, when God shows me the solution, I'm like, well, why did it take so long to be there? And I'm so tired of the Lord pointing out, is because you're stubborn. Uh, <laughs> do you guys ever have that kind of dialogue with the Lord? And I'm just like, wow, when am I going to quit doing that? And so you guys get it? Even though Jesus didn't have those things, he had to learn intentionally. I don't know what to do here. What do you want me to do? I don't know what to do here. What do you want me to do? This person's saying this to me. What do you want me to do? Now, if you're going, well, where is that in the Bible? Where, where do we see Jesus actually modeling that or saying those kind of things? Well, you get it out of John 5.19 or John 8.38. Jesus says, I don't say anything unless the Father says it, and I don't do anything unless the Father is doing it. He's saying, I intentionally prefer his voice. And I... And I I take off all this nonsense that every, every... Do you guys ever live in a community where everybody's trying to put a bunch of responsibilities on you? And you feel heaviness and weariness from it? And you think, what am I supposed to do? Uh, have you noticed in the body of Christ we're really good at doing that to each other? We walk up to each other and going, you're not being faithful enough, so here, here's another burden. Don't you like that? And we think, wow, that, that backpack's really kind of heavy. And we go, That's normal. And we all look at each other like, if you don't have enough burdens on you, come here and I'll put some more on you. <laughs> okay, so because the, the Christian experience is based on grace, we don't know how to live by grace, most of us. Most of us know how to lay principles on each other or say, you know, it'd probably be a good idea for you to do better. Instead of saying something like, why don't you just go get the Lord to tell you what to do here? Have you ever tried to figure out why the body of Christ is so uncomfortable with this? We, we, well, why don't you do better? Here's some more weight on you. Uh, here's what these people did. Instead of saying, I don't have an answer for you. I live by the Lord leading me. Why don't you go do the same? <laughs> okay. Also, the word suffer means here, it means intention. You guys ready? It also means pressure to push something to the surface. Okay, so here we are. You've been saved and you've been left in a fallen world. And how many of you literally talk to each other in private and say, I don't get it. Well, after I got saved, why didn't Jesus just let me die and go to heaven? Why, why do I got to be here? I mean, do you guys ever talk like that? And then... We don't understand suffering, so we're like, well, the goal is who can suffer the best? And then we get all kinds of rewards when we go to heaven. And so we talk to each other about this. How well is your suffering going this week? 
and we just tell each other all the junk we're going through. My life's falling apart. My family's falling apart. I'm being ruined financially. Bless the Lord. <laughs> right? Okay, so you guys ready? What's the reason why suffering is still, why are we still having to deal with this? Uh, how many of you just kind of live your life and watch evil going on all the time and it just bugs you? You think, why do I got to live here with this? <laughs> One person's enjoying this, okay? <laughs> so why? Now, Jesus is telling you right here. Remember, he learned this. So when evil affects you, do you realize that effect on your soul is an invitation to hear the Lord about something? And so the word here for suffering actually means to push, ready, hidden things to the surface so that God can deal with it. You know, in the Old Testament, when they were talking about people becoming holy, they used an illustration of dregs being in a vessel and water being poured in to where it pushed the dregs to the top. Now, have any of you ever observed or watched how they um, produce pure gold or pure silver? So they have different elements in them. You guys ready? And this heat, this extreme heat, is added to those elements. And since uh, the elements are lighter than gold, they float to the surface. And so the more heat and the more intensity, the more those things are pushed to the surface, and then they just get rid of it. And then we say, that's pure gold and that's pure silver. All right? Now, interesting enough, uh, I'm sure you're fascinated with that now that I told you that, but what does that have to do with this? It's saying... You come into a situation, the Spirit of the Lord is saying, that thing that's hidden inside of you that you can't even see, I'm going to let that affect you so that when you come to me, the heat of my voice will push it to the surface so I can skim it off and heal you. And you guys ready? What's the tendency in the heart? We don't want anybody searching our heart and going, there's something in you. And so the minute the Spirit of the Lord comes and says, do you see this thing? We're like, no, I do not <laughs> see this thing. Now, you can tell when the Lord's working on purifying you and skimming it off, when he's showing you something and you see it in everybody else and you start going after everybody. <laughs> How many of you have ever had God push something to the surface and say, it's time for this to be out of your life, and you're like... Yeah, and tell the body of Christ to knock it off. And, you, and, and it's just a way of dodging the Lord. One of my professors in Bible college used to say this to us. <laughs> he made me so mad when he said this, and that had to be dealt with. He said, you know, the, the purpose of reading Scripture and preparing them for a congregation is not for you to entertain everybody. He said, you've been invited into the dynamic of that word affecting you first before you present it to anybody else. So if you're not getting God dealing with you about it, you have no right to stand up and tell anybody else they ought to obey it. Now, you guys think that's exciting. That, <clears throat> that means that I have to stand before the Lord all the time, and when he says, hey, I want you to tell the people this, I realize he's, he's going around and he's saying, actually, you're going to deal with it first. I'm like, oh, no. And, and so... So what does this actually, what does this pressure push? What does it push to the surface? I can name about 15 different things, but I'm going to use just three. 
The first thing it does is it pushes pain to the surface. Okay, you guys ready? Suffering unlocks the pain that you will not deal with, and it pushes it to the surface. And the intentionality isn't to shame you, embarrass you, or it's to actually free you and liberate you. And so God pushes it to the surface so that he can actually come as a counselor, hold you near his heart, speak his love and tenderness to you, and skim that off of you so that never has an effect on you again. The next thing that this, this suffering does is it pushes your fears to the surface. Hey, hey, how many of you in the last three years just thought, hallelujah? <laughs> this is the best season for the body of Christ. How could you say that? Did you know what they did? I know exactly what they did. I was living it with you guys. And how many of you had to deal with fear during that season of your life? Afraid of everything. Do you know that was hidden in our hearts and we didn't even know it? So God just let it become a virus in the culture. Fear of everything. I have to stay six feet away from you. Don't look at me. (laughs) Don't breathe on me. Do what everybody says. That whole fear campaign that went after you and I went after, the Lord allowed it to be used to push that to the surface so you'd stop being afraid. Isn't that interesting? And how how, uh, how many of you were like me? All I want to know is how to stop that information. And he's saying, no, let it push this to the surface because... When that comes again, I don't want you affected by it. I want you standing in the love of God. You know, um, I don't remember if I told you guys this or not, but it's kind of weird. In my world, you guys know that I travel, so right at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, they just shut down everything, right? You guys know. And everywhere I went to speak, they all called me and said, you're not coming. So I got forced to do nothing. And the more I got isolated in my house by myself and all this information, the world's coming to an end, the world's coming to an end. Uh, do you guys remember that? And then we were trying to figure out when's Jesus going to come and the Antichrist and all this other stuff and the world's going to end and blah, 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 blah. All right? All of a sudden, this, this fear that actually had been motivating me for years got exposed. My wife's sick in one part of our house. My son's sick in the other part of the house. I'm caring for him, and I'm sleeping in an extra bedroom by myself. And the Lord says, it's time to deal with that fear that's inside of you. And I thought, what fear? And then all of a sudden, there it was. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, how much of my life is motivated by this thing? Fear of death. Fear of man. Fear of what people think about things. Did any of you experience that? And when God pushed it to the surface, I had to lay my life down again before the Lord. And I said, I really didn't realize I had picked it back up again. But I don't want to live this way anymore. And the tenderness of the Lord came around me. He says, you don't have anything to fear. I'm going to be with you through this whole entire thing. And the minute he said that, I, you guys ready? I sensed the grace of God coming in me. And it just lifted me above it. And, I, and I, I started looking at everything differently. Like, why am I buying into this? What, what's going on inside of me that I would even consider this? Let's do the last one. Now, I have to be careful. I'm going to say this really quick, and then I'm going to run for the door. Okay? <laughs> the next thing that suffering does is it pushes to the surface idols. Okay, I'll see you guys later. So... <laughs> 
Now, most of us are in this room saying, I don't have a piece of wood that I bow down to every night. What are you talking about idols? Okay, so I'll name off some just to kind of get us all in the same boat. Because we don't have pieces of wood that we bow down to, we have idols in our head and idols in our heart. So, when I, can you guys imagine, I'm going to tell you something, and when I tell people this stuff, they're like, you actually spend time doing this? I pulled out, I thought, you know, it's been a while since I've studied the doctrine of sin. I think I'm going to study that for a while. Now, how many of you do that? You don't have something to do on a Saturday night? I think I'll study the doctrine of sin. So I'm just sitting there going through it all. I'm like, oh, I've never seen that before. That's kind of fascinating. And anyways, I'm reading through it, and they're getting to the effect of sin. And there's, there's what's called you intentionally go sin. So that's one form of sin. And then there's a sin where you know something is wrong and you do nothing about it. And in that arena of sin, that's a form of idol worship just as much as it is over here just doing something. So do you guys realize that when you harden your heart or you're cold to something that God says you should be passionate about it, that indifference is an idol of you trying to protect yourself. And when I saw, guys, so I'm sitting here reading the doctrine of sin. I get to that passage and I'm like, oh no, I've just been found out again. And so I'm in the basement. Gosh, if people only knew what my private time was like. I'm in the basement repenting of sin again. I can't believe my heart is like this, Lord. As I was, and then I kept pursuing it. Lord said, so here's another idol that you never want to face. And I thought, oh no. He said, do you know that you in your culture, I'm not talking about you guys in Colorado, this is the rest of the United States, okay? <laughs> but he said, you in your culture, you have a, a really intense problem with coveting, which means wanting something that someone else has. And he says, in your advertising, if you guys don't know my background, I actually was trained as a marketer, an advertiser, and I used to work in ad agencies. The main focus of it is to get you to think you lack something and then tell you this is the solution to it and then you have to covet it to get it. That's how we do most of our advertising and marketing. If you don't watch ads and stuff like that, you're pretty happy in life. The minute you see an ad, it's telling you there's something wrong with you unless you get this thing. And they're always promising you paradise if you get it. Have you guys ever noticed that? Uh, just to show you how funny it is, <clears throat> how many of you ever watch a commercial for like Burger King or something like that. And they're doing the flame bro broiled and aren't you hungry? And then they always add a tagline onto it like, your life has meaning after you eat this thing. <laughs> and so what they're actually doing is they're saying, not only should you covet, you should tie it with eternal principles as though you're actually ascending into the heavens if you get this product. Have you guys seen that? And so everyone's like, I don't know why I have to do this every day. Well, I'll tell you why. They've promised you heaven, which they cannot deliver. And if you can't deliver heaven, that's an idol. <laughs> it's a false god. It's promised you heaven. It can't give it to you. Yeah, I don't do that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, know. I say those kind of things too. And then the Lord shows me, no, you actually do. You kind of go do that stuff. And so, as I'm getting ready to write this, and I'm going to finish it up now, I just thought, this is the roughest sermon I've ever written. Um, because God's trying to really have a conversation with me here. 
My son did this. Now, he wasn't sinning, but this pressure was put on him so that he would prefer to hear what I wanted to do in a situation. And then I empowered him his whole entire walk to where he could actually go to the cross. You guys ready? God is saying he knows exactly the things you're going through, but he's trying to push something to the surface so that you'll go to him and say, what do you think about this? So that you, ready, live differently. You're a community, we're a community of grace. He actually wants you to be touched by grace. So that you're actually living that way. You guys ready? So now here's the, the question. Are you listening to his voice right now? And if you are, what is he saying to you? And are you responding to him? Would you join me in prayer? Well, Lord Jesus Christ, we just first want to acknowledge you. It's amazing that you did this. It's amazing. Thank you for not only being our Lord and Savior, but our high priest. And that you have made yourself available to us. So that you can release a power of your love inside us in such a way that we can walk by grace. Now, because of the world we live in, I don't even have to ask you to do this. Holy Spirit, where pressure is being put on us, don't let us run and hide, but face you as a counselor. And restore us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, I'm going to, if you guys are okay with this, I'm going to pronounce the blessing of the Lord, and then I'll have you come up and finish the service. So please receive the blessing of the Lord now. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you rest. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. It's our joy to offer these podcasts. We sure hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, any prayer requests, feel free to drop us a line at Fellowship at iCloud.com. If you're curious about ways you can be more deeply involved in this community, visit our website at EmmausFellowship.org and be sure to like our Facebook page.